Their goal is to bring you a podcast that sounds more like everyone else than anyone else. We need to accept the fact that we are like every other podcast. We want to be special, but we're not quite there yet. It's the Zenial Odyssey Podcast with Remy and Bobby Rocks. So what are we going to talk about today? Jeffrey Dahmer. Ooh, what, what about Dahmer are we going to talk about? Well, we like to be topical, and there is a new, really compelling Jeffrey Dahmer Netflix show popped this week, and it sort of got the discussion of that weird dude back into the lexicon. People are just kind of discussing it again, and I think I think that our generations, you know, specifically, we didn't understand the ramifications of the crime when they happened. We're like, oh, this dude ate people and blah, 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 blah. But it was a really interesting structural thing where, like, he was killing poor, homosexual, mixed-race people and African-Americans, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, looking back, he targeted a very specific demographic that he knew wouldn't necessarily get the support they deserved from any kind of law enforcement. So it's interesting because, I mean, I always knew he was a monster, but there was a lot going on racially with what he did that I didn't understand when it happened. And as always, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to paint that broad brush because when you brought the topic to me about Dahmer, I immediately am like, oh yeah, serial, serial killers. And what I thought about is, okay, what sets Dahmer apart from other people? So you, you pretty much just described what sets him apart. Yeah. Uh, not all serial killers target marginalized people not all serial killers are cannibals not all serial killers are homosexuals yeah yeah exactly yeah. you know and and for some people i think the other thing is in the 90s you know 91 when it kind of happened there was still a really ignorant aspect of society and people thinking that like i don't know misconceptions about aids and a lot of things you know um but I, for me i look back on it now and it, it it's a circus of errors, a myriad of things that could have been done. And, and you know, there were people in the community, African-Americans calling the police regularly from his building because they smelled shit and heard people screaming. And essentially every single person was just brushed under the rug. Like, you ain't got a voice. Fuck you. We don't care. Where did this take place? Milwaukee. Mm, Midwestern America. Yeah. You know, it's like. I think that there are a lot of misconceptions about Midwest America too. This thing mm -hmm. kind of proves it, you know, because you were saying, Bob, that like a lot of the the dialogue when it happened was like, oh, this kind of stuff doesn't happen around here. Yo, we need to drop that as a dialogue, period. Stuff happens everywhere. Shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly frustrating when people try to act like their space is sacred comparatively. Like That's them. That's not us. Yeah. And and it's good because one, that's one of the angles I want to talk about when I paint that broad brush of serial killers is that where do these people, where are their breeding grounds? Where are they living? Where do they move to? What is, what is their activity? What's their around? MO? Yeah. What's yeah. their activity around the acts of uh, murdering multiple people? So let me ask you something. Um, was his murdering of homosexuals, his way of rejecting his homosexuality because no one recognized it in his family. Was he, was he acting out? Now I'm not, 
literally, I'm not making excuses. I'm asking just a question. Do you think there was a part of him that was lashing out against his homosexuality, especially being from the the Midwest? I feel like he was someone who was mentally ill to the point where it was just a way to perpetuate this cycle of rejection that he had his whole life. Yeah. I I feel like he was fine with homosexuality, but yes, he know he probably knew the fact that it's taboo especially in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and interracial um, homosexuality even more so. Yeah. Yeah. But uh he I don't want to go into it now. This this definitely like the psychology that I feel for him. But I do feel that one thing we can talk about is that yes, he had a a sense of and, and we'll do this. We'll do the usual. We'll do segments. Yeah. So I think one the first segment will be like his upbringing, kind of what led up to his first killing. Yeah. And all that. But yeah, I think that yeah, his his childhood development up till about the age of eighteen played a significant role. It was almost non-existent. Yeah, played a significant role in how he turned out. And and um, just as a disclosure before we go to the first break, play a song, come back, is that I am a person that believes that very, very few people are born serial killers. It can happen, I think. And I'll, I'll just say it now. We're going to talk about him too, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was born well, well, was born that way, but I think it's a, lear- a lot of learned behavior. But give context when you say that meaning... Me and Bobby worked with children, potential serial killers, okay? We can't stress this enough that, like, and even the kids that we worked with, 99% of the time, they were diddled and fucked with and manipulated and gaslit. So, I agree with Bobby. I think there are, there is a 1% out there that are just born bad. Yep, yep. Um, but it, it's learned and it's it's um, stifled PTSD and it's slow development and it there's a multitude of things. You know, what people need to understand here is, we are making no excuses for this guy. He was a fucking monster. Yes. But we're framing it for you guys. Mm-hmm. So you maybe have an understanding a little bit better about. I think now is a good time to put a disclaimer out there for everybody. We're going to approach this from a neutral standpoint because this is educational. It doesn't mean that maybe we don't have feelings of disgust oh, yeah, we hate or repulsion, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we're just doing it objectively for the sake of the education part of the episode. So. I think now's a good time to jump off. All right, so yeah, we'll come back. We'll come back. We'll jump right into his childhood development. Yeah, as or always, lack everybody. Thereof. <laughs> as always, everybody, welcome to the Odyssey.
All right, good tune. Welcome back. Do you want to be the one to start this, or would you want me to start this? Um, no, you can feel free to jump in on it, Bob. We can we can we can pass off different moments of his yep. life. You know, why don't you do his upbringing, and I'll do his first kill. Okay, hey, that's perfectly fine. So off the air, Rem, you brought up how you feel like you asked the question: Was he autistic? I and and let me just fluff that a little with with guys. I'm not saying that his behavior is an he, autistic trait. Yes, no. don't think that. Don't link the two, but if you watch his social awkwardness, his the, the, his almost quiet passivity, his lack of emotion ever. I mean, watch any of the footage of him talking. So don't think that I don't want the world to think that I'm like, oh, he's fucked up. No, oh, no, I meant from a social standpoint. I wonder if he was never properly diagnosed. Yeah, sorry, that, to, sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. That's perfectly that's perfectly fine because you provided context to where I was going. What I want to. I want to backtrack to his literally his development. Like mm-hmm. he was born to any, like his mom and his father, his, his mom was like 18 when they got married right out of high school. His father was always on the road. Again, this was in the 1960s where, you know, the whole, that was pa- common. the patriarchy, the, the men, the man works, the mom is, is the home t- caretaker. And I know at some point she was diagnosed with postpartum depression, after his brother, she likely had it with him. Mm-hmm. She likely had other, uh, I'm going to use the word comorbid. And what that means is she has, she probably showed characteristics of other mental illnesses mm-hmm. that are very closely related to it. She probably had some mental illness. So gen- so from a genetic standpoint. Wasn't she drinking a lot too? Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. So from a genetic standpoint, she is, she is mentally ill. She probably passed that along to, to Jeffrey and on top of that, she clearly wasn't a great caregiver for him in his formative years. So he he definitely strikes to me that there was no attachment at that critical time. From birth to three to four years, that's no bonding. critical bonding and attachment. And, and I want to make something very clear because I know in the 1960s and 70s that there were a lot of quote unquote experts out there that said kids ended up autistic because... Their mothers didn't bond with him. I'm no, not. No, I'm no. not saying that. I'm saying that she wasn't available. Period. I mean, for herself, because, because she was she, she wasn't available for herself. She wasn't available to take care of herself. She made multiple suicide attempts. Yeah, didn't he discover her and body? He, yes, he discovered her once after his younger brother was born. He was six years older than his brother. His brother was a newborn. His father's always on the road. It, I don't know if it was uh, more of the mom being paranoid. But it seems like yeah, the, the dad was having affairs on the road. So who's who's there to take care of him? He and she knew Jeff was weird. Yeah, and then she knew he was weird, and she it kind of gave her that standoffishness. Yeah, she got, he got no nurture. Yeah. Period. Like, yeah, it, it, you know they talk nature versus nurture. This is a perfect example. He didn't get picked up. He didn't get hugged. He didn't get loved. Like again, made not born that way. And so he, when he starts to go to school and and be around other people, he doesn't have that foundation of even social skills. At he all. was socially devoid because there was a lack of that, and and you see it play out. So he's going through school it, in the episode, and I know research hindsight into Jeffrey kind of shows you see some of the warning signs, mm-hmm. even playing out in his childhood, and then I really feel it. It is in the episode, but I feel like uh, was his father just. Were they just dissecting things or were they even like taxidermy? Um, okay. So, you know, allegedly, the well, not allegedly, this happened. He would go around with his dad. They would pick up roadkill and his dad would teach him how to essentially turn it into taxidermy. Okay. Potentially. okay. All right. So, so, I mean, that 
But that's not a good thing to... No, no. But his father, I mean, to be fair to his dad, his dad didn't think, oh, this is going to be someone that grows up and, and is a mass murderer. He, to him, he, I think he, his father felt guilty that he wasn't that oh, close. Oh, definitely. And he was trying to find a way to bond with his son. And that this thing, like his son showed an interest in anatomy and it was, he wanted to bond with him. It was, it was something. And it, unfortunately, it kind of created a catalyst along with his alienation and, and lack of shift, social skills. You know, him working with the dad on dead animals while the mom's in the kitchen wait like fucking drunk and cooking yep. dinner. So there was a real, there was a shift in that house where mm -hmm. she, they were divided. It just, it was a family divided, you yes. know? Um, it was a broken home. 100%. It was a broken home. And when he was what, 16, 17, that's when his parents divorced. Yeah. And his mother took his younger brother and and left him there. And his, I think that was the big one, and, dude. Well, I think that was the trigger that really es escalated where he went from there. Because his first, I don't want to steal your thunder, but his first kill was over the course of his whole life. His first kill was very a short time after that. And his, so he's essentially, he's a senior in high school. His father's still working as much as he is, but now he's all alone. He's already an alcoholic at this point. Yeah, he's already, he's already showing that he is uh, dependent on alcohol. And, um, which is something that plays out over the rest of his life. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, you know, like half the times he's like, I know what I was doing, but I was blacked out, you know, cause he was just so fucking wasted. Yeah. And, and you see, you know, with him in school, he had no real friends. There were people who thought he was weird and they would have him do weird shit. Yeah, like he was funny faces. He was and, an object. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know? Um, and I think he thought. He'd get negative attention from the, from, or at least attention from doing weird shit from other kids. And I think he was like, okay, okay, this is mm -hmm. my thing. Um, and then fucking, you know, the, the pig dissection was a moment, I think, too, that was, that was. It's an escalation. Where yeah. he got to experience, like, because what's interesting is, you know, he essentially wasn't a person who felt joy unless he was around dead things. Like, he mm -hmm. knew that when he saw the dead animals when he was young, he was like, oh, I fucking love this. Yeah. So, and in a different world, my theory is that he could have just been an embalmer and been fine. He could have fed it that way. Like Jonathan Davis before corn got huge. For most people who don't know, Jonathan Davis originally was going to be a mortician. mortician. He yep. lived in a fucking funeral home with dead people. Yeah, and he went to school for it. Mm -hmm. He went to school to be a mortician. So anyway, the thing, you know, the dad divorces the mom and the dad's under the um, kind of idea that the mom will take care of David and, and Jeffrey. Jeffrey. And she loves, she's always loved Jeffrey. I mean, she's always loved David, but she hates Jeffrey essentially. Mm -hmm. And so the dad goes on a trip thinking the mom's going to keep him. The mom's like, fuck you. I'm taking David and we're just, we're going somewhere else, bro. We're going to have a real normal life. Can, can we go, can we go back to... Um I'm going to bring her back around to here, but one thing I really want to point out because I feel like it is crucial to Dahmer's psychology. Yeah. He feels alienated. He even admitted that he felt alienated when he was finally profiled, mm -hmm. when he was arrested. He has a lifetime of alienation and a lack of connecting with people and a lack of attachments. And another theme that was, was present, but it, I feel like this is the trigger, was the rejection. Yeah. He felt rejected. Yeah, I mean, mention actually go yep. back and mention the tadpoles because that is oh, yes, that's yes, a yes. formative story here. Yeah. So in the episode, he goes to uh, like a lake or a pond or whatever that's yeah. by his home, and he gets a jar and fills it with tadpoles. And the next thing you see is he's in class, and everyone's giving the teacher an, that stereotypical. Everyone gives the teacher an apple, and he gives the teacher tadpoles. 
and then he, when the class is over, he leaves and another student asks if he can, the teacher, if he can have the tadpoles and the teacher's like, yeah, sure. And he sees that student with the tadpoles. He asks them to give them back. They say, no, he follows that student home. Breaks him he up. breaks into the house. He steals the jar back. He takes it back to the pond or whatever. And he dumps motor oil into the water to kill the tadpoles. Yeah, to watch him fucking struggle and die. So I feel like that's a, he was trying to connect. And he felt rejected. Yeah. And that was like a, just a, like a, almost a, a compulsive rage, like a very reactive rage. And that rejection is ultimately what fed every kill because yes. he, at the end of the day, guys, sick, fuck, twisted, but he was this sad, lonely dude who just didn't want people to leave after they fucked him. Yep. And yep. they would always, and, and, and he's fucked. But he wasn't even trying necessarily initially. Well, we're getting ahead of it. We're yeah. saying, okay, we're getting ahead of it. But you're right. It was a rejection. It was a rejection from parents and authority. It was a rejection from women, you know? And shit, man. That's how you make a monster. Yep. And also he, uh, him struggling with his own sexuality, especially as he gets to the age of 16, 17, 18. That kind of plays out. So think about this perfect storm of stuff. He's struggling with sexuality in Midwestern America and Wisconsin or Ohio. Uh he has developmentally, he's delayed from other people. Oh, he's sure. lived alienated. He has lack of attachments. He has already building rejections. And then the most, the biggest rejection of all, his parents get divorced. His father still works like he does. And his mom just leaves, leaves him. him, abandons him. So he spends a summer essentially alone. Yeah. Yeah. And that was also what led to his first kill. Yeah. So instead of Instead of music between these segments, why don't we just jump off here and you can take over for his first kill? Word. So, um, you know, feelings, feelings, right? He always had feelings. He didn't know. I don't think he understood his feelings. We obviously don't understand his feelings. But while his mother was gone and his father was away and he was essentially raising himself, drinking like a fucking animal, um, he was, you know, he'd, he'd go for these drives and supposedly, I mean, again, I don't know how much of the the seeing the jogger multiple times is fictionalized but sorry young kind of handsome dude running down the street and he was like ah and i think that in a lot of ways that moment when he saw the shirtless jogger was like him finally being like oh fuck yeah i'm gay yeah yeah i'm fucking gay." and also idealistically like he he looked at his body and said i want to look like that yeah yeah. like if i desire that if I look like that, people will people desire to me. me. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, he looked nerdy and whatever, but he was actually a pretty fucking big guy and he was in good shape. Yeah. Dahmer was Dahmer was like at least six feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, keeps seeing the dude jogging. He's like, oh, fuck, man. I'm kind of down with this dude. Kind of plans on jumping him initially. Yeah. Like... But that doesn't work out. And then whatever. A few days later, he sees the kid hitchhiking. Stephen Hicks. Stephen, Stephen Hicks, Hicks is his Steve. name. Yep. That is uh, that is his first kill. That is their real name. He, they were 18 years old. Oh, wait. Let me do the kill, bro. No, no, no. I'm not going to do the oh, kill. I'm just okay. giving the backstory to Stephen Hicks. Stephen Hicks was hitch- hitchhiking to a concert. Yeah. He was meeting his friends up there and unfortunately just happened upon Jeffrey Dahmer driving down the road. And you know, as weird as it may seem to us, because we can't see it, there was a level of charisma to him, I think, a little bit, because he he didn't find it hard to get the company of men. Um, so he gives he offers this dude a ride. He's like, oh yeah, um, you know, he sees it as an opportunity. It's the first time it's handing itself to him. So he's well, like if it, I'm sorry to jump in here. I don't think it's so much social skills. He sets up situations where um, he's in control or 
he has something that other people want lot in that situation, a ride. A car, yeah. yeah. He's offering, uh, let's go back to my dad, let's go back to my place and we'll have some beer. He's offering a ride, beer, and then drive to the show later on. I'll go in, we can go in further about how that plays out. But I think it has more to, I feel it has more to do with uh, um, a foot in the door and then making people feel like they owe you something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, th- there's, that's the thing is like trying to even speculate what level he was thinking. Like, for me, I find it utterly impossible. But anyway, so he's hanging out with this dude. The dude wants to go to the concert. He's like, hey, have some beers with me. That was his thing. He always wanted to get people fucked up. And he drugged them too, which is another reason. But this was his beta run, okay? So they're hanging out. And he's like, the guy's like, dude, can you take me to the fucking show? Like, okay, you're drinking beer. Awesome. I have to meet my friends in a couple hours. He's like, just chill out. Have another beer. And he's like, no, bro. And he, like, Dahmer goes in and sort of makes the move and kisses him. And the dude's like, what the actual fuck, bro? He, like, pushes Dahmer off and he's like, yo, I'm not, I'm not that. I'm not that. I want to go to the fucking concert. And as soon as he mm-hmm. turns around, and again, it's that rejection, that moment where I guess he thought he had a connection with this guy. Where this, where he went primal. Yeah. Like, he just, and so if you think about it, he well, wait, is, let me. it's a powder keg. Yeah, yeah. And it finally went off. Yeah. Yeah. I just want That's to, all I wanted to say, bro. I want to get to this good shit. Go, so, go. So he whacks him in the head. Hold on. Whacks him in the head with a um, weight. And I think it was an impulsive decision. It wasn't like he brought... I don't believe he brought this dude there to kill him. No. I think he thought he was going to fuck. Um, I think that that, mo- that was the moment for him, though, because he hit him. But he hit him in a way where, like, Dahmer would hurt these people and then be shocked they were dead. Well, yeah, well, he didn't kill him. He didn't kill him by hitting him with the weight. Yeah, he just fucking yeah. incapacitated him. Yeah. And he was like standing over him. And I think that that was the moment where he must, you know, a lot of serial killers get incredible erections from that shit. Mm-hmm. They get a feeling yep. of being alive more than anything else. So I think that standing over the body, realizing he could do anything he wanted with the body. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, but again, I, I really believe that that first that wouldn't have happened if he wasn't left alone yeah let's go with an astrology analogy here that was the event horizon yeah because i I, especially you hear it in in serial killers there is a point where that first kill or those first couple kills is figuring it out and there is a like a e like a there is a almost yeah yeah and then it gets easier and then it gets easier yeah of course the act of murdering someone gets easier and i think that's why people get sloppier too though yes there becomes a level of i'm so good at this i'm untouchable you know and he ended Mm -hmm. up having that too but suffice it to say you know what i'm saying he murders this kid abuses the body fucking um and it's another example where you know what just a fucking hitchhiker just disappears and no one ever looks for him no one ever fucking and was that now they I've never figured out how he did this. How the fuck did he get a barrel of acid? Oh, he didn't. What he did is um because his father was also a hunter. Yeah. This isn't this isn't in the episode. This is just stuff I've figured out in my own research. Yeah. He filleted the body to get the to get the flesh off of the bones and then he melted melted it and flushed it down the toilet. Oh yeah, and the first yeah. person that's the one where he then burned the bones yeah. and then he, crushed them. And he was going to, he wanted to melt the skin and everything off of the skull and then bleach the skull. But the solution that he had was too strong and it made the skull brittle. So then he decided to pulverize all the bones. Just throw them all over yep. his backyard. Yep. Yeah. And so that was, um, that was the first one. And, and, you know, my belief is, again, you say Event Horizon, Perfect Storm. 
it was one of those things where, you know, you know, if you eat something, that's a strange metaphor, but not really. The minute you eat it, if you want to eat it again, like if you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's my shit. And unfortunately, he felt the power. He felt like he had control back. Then he fucking, you know, un- unfortunately, he was kind of, well, not kind of, he was sadistic and insane. So he'd be able to perform things on the body. That's, you know, and I think that was, yeah, it's like, because he did things like kept heads to kiss in the mouth. and But like you said, man, framing it all, the youth and everything coming up to this point. And his dad was a perfect example of like golden age boomer where he knew shit was fucked up. But every time shit was fucked up, he was too scared to ask. Him. Mm-hmm. Did, um, so Rem is at the end of the Dahmer show. I'm on episode four. Did they talk about when he went to college and when he went in the military? Very briefly. Very briefly. But they do. I think it's important. It's a shame that they minimally do it because he went he went years without killing again. Yeah. Uh, at one point, and I bring that up because he went, his father paid for him to go to Ohio State University and his alcoholism got in the way. And he, fl- and he flunked beers out. to class. Yeah, yeah. And he flunked out. He actually had his GPA, he was there one semester. His GPA was... 0.45. Hey, man. That's impressed. The only class he didn't fail, oddly enough, was uh, one that had to deal with um, anatomy. Well, that's shocking. That was shit. Shocking, yeah. I know. And then after that, his father encouraged him to go into the military. Not encouraged. He said, you're a fuck up. You're and, going into the and military. And he did. And then he got, they, they discharged him because of his alcoholism. Well, they, they imply in the show that he was discharged for something far more serious than that. Well, I mean, they can apply it all they want, but I mean, as far as records go, yeah, his drinking, like he, he, his drinking got to the point where he couldn't complete his duties. He didn't show up and he was like incontinent. He was drinking to the point well, where he was incontinent. Just to like, not a spoiler or anything, but, um, yeah, there's a whole scene of him drugging and raping one of the, one of the soldiers. But he also, and that's very interesting because, and again, we could go on a tangent about the military and, um, and how they underreport certain things, but they gave him an honorable discharge. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. They didn't even give him a dishonorable discharge. That's why when I saw the scene, I was like, that's strange. But whatever. That's and, the problem when you watch stuff too. And what he did is he was so worried about letting his father down and feeling rejected again. He didn't go home to Wisconsin. He went to Miami. Yeah. And he lived in Miami for a little bit until finally he was so destitute that he had to call his father and to come home. And then he went to go live with his grandmother for a little bit. And it was fine for a little bit. For a minute. And then he uh, started killing again. Yeah. He had fucking, you know, and that's the thing for a lot of those people is it, it's, uh, that's why there's a part of me and it, this isn't undermining them. I mean, undermining what they did, but there's a part of me like, this shit's really a fucking disease. Like how it acts. Cause it's like compared to something like alcoholism. Perfect example. I know people morally and ethically or whatever you have you, they go back and forth on addiction being a disease. I, I, I equate it to an addiction. Yeah, that's he what has I'm a, I He agree. has a compulsions to do to these kill. things. Yeah. Uh, one thing that emerges, again, as he develops as a killer and as he develops sexually and socially, yeah. is he admits that he cannot, he admitted this once he was arrested, he admits that he cannot, he could not get sexual gratification out of, being with partners who were moving. Mm-hmm. He said they had, that's why he started to drug them and make them catatonic. I don't want to steal the thunder. No, there no. You. I mean, I, you know, I, and I'm, yeah, using the catatonic. Uh, so he, yeah, he couldn't get that arousal, but then it 
again, because it's, he's not getting interventions or treatment for it. And why would he in the, in the seventies and eighties? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to now, is that, have we made strides? Yes, but we have a long way to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, now we're in a new era of self-diagnosis, which is just as fucking strange, but yeah. that's a discussion for another day. But what I mean is that we've crossed the frontier where we, when we see these signs in kids, we have specialized treatment places that can intervene because yes the rule of thumb is the earlier we intervene the better the outcome yeah and now we start we're starting to have research with adults because adults have really kind of been left off the table who already have these things yeah it's almost like a if you do if you didn't get there in the childhood you're whatever fuck off and i don't i do and i don't agree with that because i feel like intervention is a good thing yeah especially for people who have concerns like that but what I was really getting at is because he doesn't have these interventions and he's left to his own devices in his head and his compulsions, he's getting more alienated. He worked the, he, he purposefully worked a night job. At a chocolate factory. Yeah, at a chocolate right? factory. Yeah, by the, by the end, his last several years. So he works, he works like 11 at night to 7 in the morning. Alone. Alone. He likely isn't sleeping a lot because he's drinking so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he uses his, he uses his time to, uh, I always, you know, I know it's cliche, but yeah, idle time is, uh, devil's work. Yeah. It's the devil. Yep. The devil's work. Yep. And so he's left to his own devices. He's isolated. He's left to his own thoughts and compulsions and he's attempting to fine tune what he's doing. He's, he was ultimately, he was working on an altar. Yeah. An altar for the skulls. Yeah, like and, he, and remember, yeah. like he, he had initially had a satanic altar, his grandmother's yes. too. That his mm-hmm. father was like, what the fuck is this? You know, little things like that. Like, I love horror, but like, he was obsessed. He'd watch Exorcist 3 like five times a day, every day. And, you know, I I do also think that with people like him, there is a God complex in them. And mm-hmm. they feel like, in other words, he watches scenes in the Exorcist 3 where this priest gets possessed by the devil and is shunning God and talking shit. And that to him is everything. Like, he makes people who come over before he kills them. Watch the fucking movie. Ish. I also, uh, I also feel we, this is something we talked about on the way up here. I also feel like one thing that sets him apart from other serial killers was that he experienced uh, shame and guilt mm-hmm. after after he would kill. And and for people who don't understand that, that is something that some people you don't have to be a serial killer if you have like sexual compulsions or you have a compul if you don't even have compulsions that are sexual in nature, you have an addiction. For example, a lot of people just, again, they activate the same areas of our brain. They release the same chemicals, you know, dopamine. dopamine. Yeah. And what I'm really getting at here is that there's a lot of people across different kind of uh, things that we look down on in our society. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Whether it's, whether it's a a serial killer, whether it's a sex addict, whether it's a gambling addict, whether it's anything like that, any, anything that's outside of quote unquote the norm. I mean, the people experience guilt and shame with that. And I feel like he was no different. That is not something that all serial killers feel. Yeah. I mean, even with the first kill, supposedly when he, when he hit him with the weight, he kind of freaked out that he was as hurt as he was. Yep. I mean, probably it's a head injury, but, um, and that's kind of a recurring theme a couple of times where he's like, Oh fuck, you're not alive anymore. And so as he progressed, he started to uh, work on preserving not not the entire bodies. He certain. would preserve certain parts Meat, of the body, organs, um, genitals. Yeah, you know, preserving genitals. He uh, he he uh, he. We didn't the the fourteen year old. 
Yeah, I know. It's it's really. I mean, that's its own little. I mean, do you want? He had he had went to jail for doing lewd acts or whatever with his brother years before that, and he was a registered sex offender because of it. And he sees the and the kid goes with him to make fifty bucks for photos. Yeah. And I mean, this is this one's a little too hard to talk about. To be honest with you guys, because it's a child. Um. And yeah, I think it's the part of all this that sits the worst with people, because you know this was a kid. I mean, a fucking child, and he had taken nude Polaroids of the kid at the beginning of the night, right? And then the kid gets drugged out and finally realizes, like, he has to escape because Jeff goes to get beer, I believe. As an alcoholic, he ran out Mm -hmm. of beer. And while he's gone, the kid crawls out, makes it to the fucking porch, but he's essentially, like, you know, drugged out of his fucking mind. He can't talk. He can't stand up. Well, there is the difference between what happened in real life and what was portrayed in the show. Yeah. He was drugged out. In both cases, but in real life, he had had the hole drilled in his head, and Dahmer had poured hydrochloric acid already. Into it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, they and they didn't do that. But yeah. like, so when I said so for everybody, when I was talking about he liked to make people catatonic, catatonic. Yeah, he literally was trying to give people lobotomies to almost make them like zombies. Yeah. So they would still be alive, but they would mm-hmm. be devoted to him, and they couldn't and they couldn't reject him. And so you know, there's this kid. He's all fucking naked and bloody. Dahmer comes back with the beer. Sees the woman from the building on the porch with the kid and the police. Now, do you understand that any other person in that situation would have just been like, oh, What this is the it. fuck? Dahmer walks up and he's like, Hey, he's my boyfriend. He's, he's my, 19. He's my boyfriend. He drinks too much. I went to we, fucking get him beer. And we though. got in a fight earlier. And because the police are just so fucking stupid and they don't want anything to do with homosexuals, they were like, Oh, cool. It's your boyfriend. Let's dude. take you home. Yeah, here, go back into the apartment with him. Um, And what's interesting, the two women on the step, one of them was the Cassandra woman I mentioned earlier, and I've heard the actual phone call, the 911 call of her after the cops leave and send him back in. And she's like, now he was definitely a boy. He was bloody. He was Nate. No, ma'am. It was a fight between boyfriends. It was a domestic dispute. Yeah. They handed that little kid back to him, and then he fucking killed him that night. Yeah, so the other thing, because this goes back to one of the things that I talked about with Dahmer. So he he chose hitchhikers. He chose underage kids and would buy them beer. He would go to gay nightclubs, and he would buy everybody drinks and then offer them more drinks and $50. Excuse me. $50 if they took nude, if he allowed them to take nudes of, of him, or allowed the him to take nudes of them yeah and so again he's doing like a little quid pro quo and he's anybody's already planted a seed foot in the door i've bought you drinks i'm asking for this and i'll pay you for it like almost like giving that like someone would feel guilty i think there was a point too where where people started being like oh wow everybody who leaves with this motherfucker on a friday is never never seen seen again again. yep yep um there's actually a really distressing like this one whole episode dedicated to one of his victims the deaf guy do you know about the deaf guy yes man it, it's it's heartbreaking because what i love what the show is doing is is focusing on the fucking victims yeah finally there's, finally there's jeff scenes for sure finally but first of all so far anyway they don't portray any of his violence on screen at least that i've fucking seen they don't show him like cutting it's all kind of veiled and you see the bodies after mm-hmm. um but they're focusing on the people they should. Like you said, I'm glad you brought up the name of the victim. That's what this shit should be about. I was going to say, much like it doesn't pick a serial killer, 
How many people could at least name one of their victims? People could go with Manson because of Sharon Tate, but that's it. That's, that's it. Easy. That's you, you talk a lot about low hanging. Oh, that's, that's the low, that's the yeah. Low that, that's what I'm saying. But they would think you know. they answered it right. But but um yeah you know and so so what's interesting? All right, do you want to do you want to tell the story of how they actually like the night the dude who escaped and like kind of brought justice? It's a great story. Um, well, you can tell that because then I feel like to wrap it up. So we could we could do like a little. Uh, let's not do the let's not do the segue yet. So just go into it. And then I will wrap it up with the kind of overarching umbrella about other serial killers and their pathologies. So go. So guy club, we already gave you the setup. Um, you know, he, what, what, what that fucker would do is he'd buy drinks for anybody that would give him attention. He'd buy drinks four or five guys at a time. Basically he cast a long net. The law, I was going to say the law of averages. Yeah. And sure enough, you know, if he got somebody three, four drinks, by the end of the night, the idea of taking pictures with this guy wasn't the most absurd thing, you know? Um, so he finds this one dude, black gentleman, um, and other people at the fucking bar are making fun of him because he doesn't have game. He just gets people drunk. He's like, want to take pictures? Like, um, but finds a guy, guy goes back with him. Um, and, you know, there are moments, I believe, when you know you fucked up. Where you feel a, a sea change in the air and whatever. As for, soon, that, for that guy, it was as soon as he crossed the threshold yep. of that doorway to the apartment. He even like, you know, he said there was a moment where he was like, mm, but he's like, fuck it, money and ass. Like, it'll be a fun night. And he knew like the minute, because when he came in, Jeff like tri- looked at him and like triple locked the door. And I think that he was like, he started looking around. The he, smell. The smell immediately, but then remember when he laid him down in the bed and the fucking blood stain from the other guys next to it. So this dude see immediately, this dude's like, oh, I'm getting murdered. And at this point, in my opinion, Jeff's just gotten- uh, Self-preservation kicks in. He's gotten lazy. Jeff's gotten lazy. People screaming in the building. Everybody's saying it smells like dead bodies. He Just like every other fucking stupid killer who gets lazy, he got lazy. He has Thank a script. God. He has a script, by the way, that he tells people when they uh, when he had neighbors and police and other or in, and the landlords uh, who would comment about the smell, and he just had this story. Wait, t- do it as Jeff. I'll tell you. I'll be like, what? Okay, so what's up with the smell? So uh, I just I, I'm a I'm a big fan of pork, and I. My family's hunters, and I had a lot of leftover meat, and and they gave me all this meat, and my freezer broke, and I had to all this rotting meat, and I had to throw it away. Memorize, just have to fix. Yeah, could say it to any like, verbatim. Yeah, he had it on fucking file. Um, but in this case, he just he got lazy with this dude, and like you know, big problem. Jeff was getting insanely drunk, so he's getting drunk, but the guy who's got, he's gonna murder isn't. And the guy who he's gonna murder is like, I mean, he does crazy shit. Like at one point, he tries to blow Jeff. Because he's like, maybe I can just fucking distract him. You know what I mean? But Jeff's just like, mm, like there's an under, like basically you would know if you were laying with a lion. I was going to say rage. Yeah. You could feel the rage building. He knew, you know? And so there was a sense of eroticism between them. And he was trying to seduce Jeff to make Jeff not kill him. Because every couple of minutes he'd grab like a steak knife and be like, don't fucking move. So the dude knew, but he played it so well. So he's, they're watching Exorcist 3, you know? And Jeff kind of like lays down with this dude and starts like rubbing his chest and he's listening to his heart and he's like, I want to hear your heart. And he's like, oh, I'm okay. He's like, cause I'm going to eat it. That was like, and that was the moment where the dude was like, oh, I have to do something right now or I'm dead in five fucking minutes. 
And dude just starts thrashing, man. That's what you do. I'm sorry. That's what you do. You go for eyes. You go for teeth. You go for balls. I know it's hard when people are scared, but he's fucking, he just basically, because Jeff's wasted and shit, he uses momentum, knocks Jeff off his feet, busts open the fucking door, screaming, this man's trying to kill me. This man's trying to kill me. This man's trying to kill me. Runs like, I mean, I think like a couple miles, like just bolts and he's screaming it the whole time. So people are seeing him and he finally finds some cops, you know? And he's just like, yo. And I guess I don't understand this part. They drove the guy back. Again, they drove the guy back, but because they wanted to make sure it was the guy. And so you knock on Jeff's door, you know, he answers it like it's nothing. Um, and I think at this moment, he was inherently, inherently aware that his, the game was over, you know? And I think there's a part of him that might have been relieved, but that's a story for another day. But anyway, keep in mind, by the way, and I find this hilarious. They had no right to come in. He All he would have had to do was say no. They technically need a warrant, and that would have given him enough time to cover his ass. But he said yes, which I find very interesting. Mm -hmm. And, dude, they walk in. They see the fucking drill covered in blood. They, the whole apartment just... But, but he never he doesn't get arrested until they find the Polaroids. Yeah. Man. And then, like, even when the cop sees the bloody mattress, dude, he goes in the room and he's like... And so we're clear, he did take nude photographs of them but he also took photographs as he was like dismembering the bodies yeah he, uh, he decapitating them and posing them posing the bodies in erotic positions jeffrey epstein had a gold statue made of the black guy who had no head who he shaped into a table do you know what i'm talking about oh, that's good that's disgusting he had a fucking a gold plated version of it in his apartment um but anyway regardless they go in they see the mess they smell the mess they're putting it all together um, and then, cause they just want the keys to the handcuffs. He's like, oh, they're in. again, he could have just grabbed the fucking key. He's like, they're in the bureau and he, he pulls it open and he's like, he finds the key, but then he's like, oh, what are these? And they're in, initially Polaroids of, of naked men. And then by like the third or fourth picture, the body's decomposing. They have no head. It's a severed penis. And that's when they turn around. They're like, bruh. And that was it. That was one of the most revelatory true crime moments I'd ever seen because I was just a kid. And then suddenly they're yeah. showing the news, pulling out fucking barrels, boxes, heads in freezers. And it was shocking. But I feel bad just to kind of tie up my end of it. I feel bad that I didn't understand who he was killing and who he was targeting and how it was so much more scary and problematic. Cause at the end of the day, he picked a low income place, picked a low income neighborhood, chose to surround himself with different races, you know? And I think that he knew. Oh yeah. If his victims were white middle class, he would have, he would have, yeah, he would have been Tops. found a lot quicker. Yeah. And the sad, I want to bring this cause I want to bring this full circle for everybody. This yeah. is a little sidebar here. Sadly, we still we have uh, millions and millions of miles of progress to make for marginalized people and and how they're victimized. Look no further than sef sex trafficking. All right. Look who gets the most attention: blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, teenage females. Yeah, little Hitler. Yeah, babies. but you know you know who gets disproportionately trafficked: Native American women. Yeah, man, the trail of tears. We should do a yeah. whole episode yeah. about that, man. Mm -hmm. A whole road where every fucking indigenous person vanishes and no one gives a fuck again but whoo this world's fucked up
on the next episode of the Zenial Odyssey podcast. Remy and Bobby Rocks discuss... For most people, they don't realize that he was very candid when he was arrested. Mm -hmm. He was very matter-of-fact about his entire history. A lot of the prisoners didn't necessarily like him. I think that that might have had just to do with the fact of who he was and how big he was. He's he's in the middle of what I would say are two extremes between Dahmer and Bundy. Yeah, he was. He was well-adjusted into society. He was was well-adjusted into society. It was a a bigger shock to the community for a couple reasons. Number one, he lived in the suburbs of Chicago. It's a good example of the fact that... That he had clout in his society. He yeah, had, he had people who knew him. He was well respected, but he was a demon. There are people that their environments create situations that lead to them becoming monsters or serial killers. Ted Bundy is was someone who was just born a serial killer. We should be focused more on the victim statements than the killer statements. Mm-hmm. Find the XOP on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, our Facebook page, or YouTube. Mm-hmm.